0: I invite you to open your Bibles with me this morning to Proverbs chapter 1. Returning to our study, we've been studying the doctrine of the fear of God and what it looks like in practice. I'm going to read the first nine verses this morning <clears throat> The proverbs of Solomon the son of David king of Israel to know wisdom and instruction to discern the sayings of understanding to receive instruction in wise behavior righteousness justice and equity to give prudence to the naive To the young, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel, to understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. Well, this morning we're coming after looking at parental warnings to reject evil companions and their wicked temptations in the following verses, in verse 10 through verse 33. Now we come to more specific teaching. Various emphases are given in the book of Proverbs, not the least of which to the one that that we're going to be considering this morning and God willing next week. And that is that we are to avoid temptation to sexual sin. And we're going to consider this morning a father's duty to warn his son, a mother's duty to warn her daughter's parents' duty to warn their children against this sin. Next week, Lord willing, we will look at a son and a daughter's duty for them to listen to, to heed their parents' warning against falling in to this very common sin. So this morning we're just going to look at a loving father's duty to urgently warn his son to avoid sexual sin. A loving father's duty to urgently warn his son to avoid sexual sin. Brethren, we live in a sex-saturated society. We can't look to the left or the right without seeing all kinds of things that would entice us to take our hearts and our hands down the road to wickedness. And so this is a very important theme in the book of Proverbs. Almost all of chapter 5 is given to it, a portion of chapter 6, and much of chapter 7. So this is a leading theme within this book that a, a righteous, a loving father is going to warn his son, and a righteous mother is going to warn her daughter against falling prey to this very common evil in his day and in our day as well. There's nothing new under the sun. So notice three points before coming to a couple of words of concluding application this morning. As we consider a loving father's duty to urgently warn his son to avoid sexual sin. Notice, first of all, the biblical authority enforcing a father, faithful father's warning. Chapter 5. My son, give attention to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding, that you may observe discretion... And your lips may reserve knowledge. Verse 7. Now then, my sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. He's saying, son, perk up your ears. Pay attention to what I have to say. Now, brethren, the Bible presents concerned parents problems with an arsenal of veritable weapons to address the subject of sexual sin. And so we're going to look at, first of all, to enter into our subject this morning, a couple of basic introductory principles and perspectives. So first of all, firmly ground your parental warnings against sexual sin in the explicit prohibition summarized in the Seventh Commandment. What does the Seventh Commandment say? You shall not commit adultery. And that is a very general command that has tentacles that go out into every kind of unclean activity and thinking as we're going to see. And if you have any desire to to do so, review the recent sermons on the Seventh Commandment from this pulpit. Secondly, warmly encourage your children to treasure the teaching of God's Word, if they would be morally pure, and avoid this sin. Psalm 119, verses 9-11. through I hope some of you young people... Your parents have urged you to commit this text to your own heart, to your memory. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to thy word. With all my heart I have sought thee. Do not let me wander from thy commandments. Thy word is... Have I hid, as it says in the King James, but the implication is, is to treat it as something valuable. Thy word have I treasured in my heart. Why? That I may not sin against Thee. I want to keep my way pure. I need to hide this word in my heart. I need to treasure it so that I might not sin against You, O Lord. Now, brethren, understand that the power of lust and the attractiveness of sexual sin is weakened proportionately as we treasure and give heart obedience to all of God's commands. Psalm 119, verses 1 through 6. How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law Of the Lord. You want to be blameless, you want to be blessed, walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. We don't just seek to do the the commandments of God in some outward and externalistic way. No, we seek him with all of our heart in order to observe his testimonies. They also do no unrighteousness. They walk in His ways. Thou hast ordained Thy precepts, that we should keep them diligently. Notice He he bows His knees here. Oh, that my ways may be established to keep Thy statutes. Direct my ways, that I might continually obey Your word. And what is the outcome of that? Then I shall not be ashamed when I look upon all thy commandments. This is the humble prayer of a teachable son or daughter of God. Further, teach your children that true obedience to God is not selective but universal. That if we love God, we will respect and strive to obey all His commands. We're not going to pick and choose which ones we want. This, the, the Ten Commandments are not multiple choice. I'll take this one and that one, but I really don't want that one over there. Though the law of God is one. We're to obey all of God's commandments. And this is what the fear of God looks like in action. It obeys God in each and every aspect of life. Oh, that God would give us such a heart that we would seek his face to give us the grace to obey all of his commandments. And encourage your children with the fact that careful and conscientious obedience to one of God's commands tends to reinforce obedience to all of His commands, because they're one. Not only do we not select this one or that one, but when we give wholehearted attention to seek God and obey His commandments, it's going to give us a desire to obey them all. Generally, when we are faithful in one area, that spills over into other areas of our lives. Because our commitment to God is wholehearted, and His law is one. Psalm 119, verses 128 and 29. Therefore I esteem right all thy thy precepts concerning everything... I hate every false way. Thy testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul observes them. We esteem as right all of God's precepts, and therefore we hate every false way, including this one this under our consideration this morning. Parents' instruction in Christian ethics in general and sexual purity in particular should be part of a full-orbed biblical curriculum. This is all part of your parental responsibility in teaching your children. You can't leave this for the public school system. You can't leave it for the, the guys down the street that talk to your kids. This is your responsibility. It devolves upon you Teach your children that moral purity is an important part of glorifying God with their whole being, with their body, as well as with their soul. We're not dualists that believe that we can glorify God with our spirit, but it doesn't matter what we do with our body. No, we're one being, body and soul. And we're to glorify God with our spirit and with our body, as we shall see. Specifically, teach your children that sexual sin begins in the heart and must be conquered there if it would not break out in acts of sin. You remember our Lord's warning, reflecting on the seventh commandment, Matthew 5 verses 27 and 28. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. We think, well, I haven't gone into my neighbor's wife, therefore I'm I'm safe. I haven't committed adultery. Jesus said, it's more than the act, it's the thought behind the act, even if the thought never breaks out in the act. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks on a woman to lust for her has committed adultery already in his heart. You know, we tend to decriminalize sin, right? That's, that's the impact of our fallenness. I haven't actually committed the act, ah, but what have I looked at on TV or in movies? Or on my computer. Or on my phone. Teach your children that they need God's saving grace to empower them to avoid these sins. They cannot do it in the arm of the flesh. They need God's saving grace. Even as the Corinthians did. And God's grace enabled them to overcome besetting sins. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, a whole litany of sins that characterized the people of Corinth. And many of them were sexual sins. And In fact, in the first century, to Corinthianize was a slang term for engaging in immoral activity. 1 Corinthians 6, and verse 11. And such were some of you. You're not that way anymore. Such were some of you. Well, what made the change? But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. And if you look back at those sins in in chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, included our adultery and fornication and homosexuality, all sexual sins. You're not like that anymore. You were changed by the grace of God. Teach your children to seek the Lord's help because they are not able in themselves to fight temptations to the sin. With all the resolutions that they might have, they're not able to fight it in the strength of the flesh. In fact, the flesh sides with, with this sin. Well, the religious flesh can do a lot of things, but it can't empower a person to avoid this sin. Point them to Christ, who alone can liberate them from the domination of these sins. And if they are Christians, teach them that their bodies belong to the One who redeemed them, who has indwelt them by His Holy Spirit, that it is their privilege to use their bodies for God's glorification, not for their self-gratification. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 18 through 20. Flee immorality. Run from it as fast as your feet will take you. Flee immorality. Every other sin a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of a holy spirit who is in, who is who is in you? You're a sanctuary. The holy spirit dwells in you. You're a temple. Whom you have from God and you are not your own. We're not our own. We're not free to do what we want to do with our bodies. We're God's by way of creation and we're doubly God's by way of redemption. For you have been bought with a price. And what was that price? Nothing less than the inestimably valuable blood of Christ. Therefore glorify God in your body. When I hear of Christians that speak about glorifying God and yet they're immersed in this kind of a sin, they are utterly confused and they bought the lie of the devil. Teach your professing Christian children that they are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. Teach them whose they are and who they are, what they're all about and where they're going. And that sexual sin has no place in the life of pilgrims bound for glory. That's what Peter's saying in 1 Peter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers. You see, this world is not our home. We're just merely passing through. Yes, there's there's temptation on the right and on the left. We need to be very careful. I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. You've had time enough to engage in all these things, Peter later says. That time isn't now, it's behind you. Continually teach that they must not return to the sensual life from which they've been saved, either saved before they entered into it or saved from the midst of it. Paul writes, and you can turn in your Bibles because I don't think I have this in my notes, to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. I had to be skimpy on my scripture test because I just had so much in these notes. After talking to the Ephesians about body life and what that means, he reminds them not to return to their former sins. He says in verse 17, This I say, Therefore, and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart, and they having become callous, hard-hearted, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Doesn't that sound like today? Now he's reminding them from what, from what they had come and what they are. But you did not learn Christ this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught of him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians, you are a new creation in Christ. All things have passed away. New things have come. You're not what you once were, what you are now. You are by the grace of God. Demonstrate that in your life. Paul says something similar to the Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 3 and 4, or 3 through 5. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Now, if there's a full stop here, not further elaboration, we might just think in very general terms about what it means to be sanctified. What sanctification looks like. But Paul elaborates. That is, that you abstain from, from sexual immorality. That's what sanctification means here. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. You know God. You're not to live like that any longer. As you exhort your sons and daughters, parents, continually point them to Christ alone, who by his Holy Spirit is able to keep them pure. It was this text in Romans chapter 13 that God used to bring a womanizing Augustine to faith in Jesus Christ. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ And make no provision for the flesh. Don't put yourself in any kind of opportunity to sin this way. Make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. You see, you must put on Jesus Christ if you would put off this sin. And as we will see in a later message Your teaching must be positive as well as negative. Parents, unite your warnings against sexual sin with instruction about the blessing of sex in its proper place in the context of marriage between one man and one woman in exclusive covenant commitment to each other. Let them know that God created sex. Man didn't create it. God did. He created Adam. And then out of Adam he created Eve. And he brought Eve to Adam. And what transpired after that was beautiful in the eyes of God. So let them know that God created sex. The first one to have a sexual thought in all of the universe was God himself. And it was good, and very good. Let them know that He blessed the union of two souls consecrated to Him and devoted to advancing each other's joy. Teach them that they've been called by God to holiness. And brethren, that this call to holiness, fathers, teach your children, it is a privilege it's not a shackle, it's liberation. It is a call to bear the f- family resemblance of the holy God who called them. That though this call requires self-denial, it is a call to a glorious inheritance. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 13 through 16. Therefore, gird your minds for action, keep sober in spirit, Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy for I am holy. Brethren, do we not want to bear the family resemblance of a holy God? As you speak of the privilege of holiness, teach your believing children to view themselves as a living and a holy sacrifice to be offered to God as an act of worship. You know the text. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Verse 1, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, this is the, the gospel leverage for living a holy life. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your reasonable Service or your spiritual service of worship. It's reasonable, it's rational for those who are the delivered people of God, those who've experienced His mercies, to present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice. And as we do it, it is accepted to God, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So parents, open, open your children's eyes to the evils of this perverse world that seeks to squeeze them into its corrupt mold. Teach them that the the only way that they will not be conformed to this world is to be transformed by God's word. That they, that they must be renewed in their minds if they would not be corrupted in their bodies. Verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. If they would be such a holy sacrifice urge them to marinate their minds with the holy word of God. Treasure it in their hearts. Marinate their minds with it. Think about it as they lie down, as they rise up, as they walk along the way. Teach them that we are what we think, and what we think determines how we live. Tell them to, urge them to think biblically so they would not act carnally. Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute. If there is any excellence or and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Have a holy fixation on these things. What we think determines how we act. Let us think holy things that we may act Holy. The bottom line is this. Teach your children by your words, that is, words reinforced by your own holy example, to cultivate a reverent regard for and ready obedience to the Word of God. You see, this is basic to living the Christian life in general and avoiding sexual sin in particular. Proverbs chapter 7 Verses one through four, my son, keep my words and treasure my commandments within you. Keep my commandments and live. And my teaching is the apple of your eye, protect it as, as you would your own eye. Bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your intimate friend. Say with Solomon, Proverbs 6 and verse 23, For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is light. Reproofs for discipline are the way of life. So we've considered something of the biblical authority enforcing a faithful father's warning. Now much more briefly, our last two points. Secondly, let us consider biblical examples and personal experience that they reinforce a faithful father's warning. You see, the Bible, dear fathers, supplies you with many instructive illustrations, both negative and positive, to reinforce your instructions to your children. Set before them the worthy example of Joseph who refused to be seduced by a wicked woman. Warn them. With the moral failures of Reuben, who went into his father's concubine. Of David, we know about his sexual sin. Of Samson, weak-willed Samson. Of Lot, we won't even speak about the characteristic of his sin there. As well as of Hophni and Phineas, They served in the temple, and they slept with the ladies who served. And Amnon, David's son, All of these who fell prey to sexual sin. Warn them too about the power of an evil example. Even as Nehemiah did. The returning Babylonian exiles. Who imitated Solomon's wicked example in marrying pagan women. Who turned their heart away from God. Even as they did with Solomon. Nehemiah 13 verses 26 and 27. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin in regard regarding these things? He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. What do we read in the scriptures? They turned his heart away from God. Yet among the many nations there was no king like him. How privileged was he the richest king to ever be seated upon a throne, and he was loved by his God, and God made him king over Israel. What privilege! Nevertheless, the foreign women caused even him to sin. Let us who think we stand take heed lest we fall. Do we then hear about you? returning Babylonian exiles, that you have committed all this great evil by acting unfaithfully against our God by marrying foreign women. You've imitated King Solomon. His example is not worthy for you to follow, and you followed it, and now you are in trouble this day with foreign women and children. Brethren, let us use the somber example of a repentant Solomon to caution our children against following him and his folly, who wasted decades of his life in his mad pursuit of sensual pleasure, that this sin in particular, he writes, increases faithless among men, warning them as... Hosea does, that harlotry, wine and new wine, take away the understanding, they evacuate our mind of all common sense. But the world says, wine, women, and song. Fathers, let me suggest another potent weapon for your arsenal. Do not discount the powerful impact of your own judicious confession of these things when your children are old enough to receive them. Your confession may, like Solomon's Ecclesiastes, exert a profound influence upon their hearts in warning them not to follow your example in these things. Further set before them the joys and benefits of your marriage to their mother. You want to spare them these things, right? You want them to be happily married even as you are. Maybe having gone the wrong way to get there and there by the grace of God. Your testimony may under the Lord's blessing Prove a great aid in instructing your children, even as Solomon's was to his. You see, biblical truth exegeted by your own experience may be a mighty tool urging them to trust and follow the gracious and forgiving God who saved you and has now made you a holy man of God. You have a story to tell many of you fathers, don't you? Christian Father, prudently instruct your children in these things as you lie down, as you rise up, as you walk along the way. Listen to the psalmist and ask your children to listen to you. Psalm 34, verse 11, Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Urge them to follow you in the paths of righteousness, which promised wonderful blessing, Proverbs 8 and verse 32, now therefore, O sons, listen to me, for blessed are they who keep my ways. Finally, by way of exposition, the pressing practical purpose prompting a faithful father's warning. There's a pressing practical purpose that prompts you faithful fathers to warn your children. Moms and dads, you love your children, don't you? The Lord has blessed you with them. A number of you, he's filled your quiver with them. He has entrusted them to your care as a privilege and as a stewardship. You cannot, therefore, remain silent when their happiness and holiness, not to mention the health of their bodies and the welfare of their never-dying souls is on the line. As much as you wish, you cannot insulate and isolate your children from our sexualized culture, nor ought you to remain silent when it is time to speak. They need to be taught that sexual sin destroys lives. There's unplanned pregnancies. There's sexually transmitted diseases. There are alimony and child payments. On and on we could go. Like no other, this sin ruins young men and women, often for this life, and tragically for many, for eternity. Our young people must be taught that abstinence is good and desirable and beneficial, that it lies on the pathway to happiness and fulfillment, and that self-denial, denial though challenging, is good for them, But the self indulgence is the path to destruction and death. You can be sure that they're hearing a completely different message from their carnal friends, from worldly entertainment, from social media, and from their own wicked hearts. Parental silence is not an option. You can't just wave your hand and wish it would go away. There's a time to be silent and there's a time to speak, and this may be the time to speak. In fact, I suggest that parental silence on this critical matter is tantamount to child abuse. Parents, love will open your mouth to address this crucial subject. And you have eyes to see what is happening in the world around you even in the lives of other parents' children Solomon had a keen eye to spot children in danger Proverbs chapter 7 verses 6 through 9 For at the window of my house I looked out through my lattice and I saw among the naive I discerned among the youths a young man lacking sense Passing through the street near her corner. And he takes the way to her house. In the twilight, in the evening, in the middle of the night, and in the darkness. Dear ones, the old saying is often true. That an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. The wise king was proactive. He tried to prevent his sons from traversing the path of folly. And so he instructed them, Proverbs 6 and verse 24, to keep you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Again, Proverbs chapter 7 verses 1 through 4. And my my son, keep my words, treasure my commandments within you. Keep my commandments and live, and my teaching is the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers, write them upon the table of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call understanding your intimate friend, that they may keep you from the adulteress, from the foreigner who flatters with her words. Sadly, some fathers face the distasteful but necessary duty of attempting to rescue and reclaim their sons from the arms of shame, sometimes forcibly if necessary. They have to go and get them. Especially if they're underage. They go to rescue them. You're not staying here, son, any longer. You're coming home. Proverbs 2 and verse 16. To deliver you from the strange woman. And this word deliver is often an action word. It speaks of literally taking something. To deliver you from the strange woman, from the adulteress who flatters with her words. On next Lord's Day, we will ponder the duty of children to hear and heed their parents' (laughs) counsels warnings and exhortations to maintain sexual purity or perhaps even to break with sexual sin. Just three brief words of concluding application. First of all, fathers, see your duty to instruct your sons to be sexually pure. Mothers, you have this responsibility to your daughters as well. And and parents, you can team teach this to your children. They'll hear it in stereo from mom and dad. Don't follow the example of passive fathers who failed their sons. Eli, who failed with Hophni and Phineas, he barely gave them a harsh word. A oh boy, you know, you really shouldn't be doing. You know, words getting back to me that this and that are going. It shouldn't be done. The reason why it's getting done is because he didn't deal with them earlier in their lives. And David, a great king, but in many respects a failed father, with Amnon, who raped his half-sister. It says of David with one of his other sons, he never spoke a cross word to him. Fathers, see your duty to instruct your sons to be sexually pure. Passivity and silence is not an option. But I'm encouraged by the conscientiousness in this regard that I have witnessed with my own eyes. You have reason to hope that God may bless your faithful labors, dear parents. Train up your children in the way that they should go. And even when they are old, they will not depart from it. That's not an absolute promise in every case, but that's a general principle. It's ordinarily true. Train up your children faithfully and prayerfully in hope. Second, fathers, use the Bible in your own experience, both your triumphs and your failures, to impress upon your sons their duty to maintain sexual purity. There may come a time in which you have to sit down and say to them, son, don't do as I have done. It's cost me dearly. I still live with the memories of it in my own conscience. Bless God, I'm forgiven through Jesus Christ, but the scars remain. Like Jacob, I'm going to limp all the way to glory as a result of that. You see, you have the infallible book and your own fallible example as valuable resources. Prayerfully integrate them in the instruction of your children. And finally, fathers, instruct your children as if their purity depended upon your faithfulness and then trust in the Lord who alone can bless your instruction, example, and prayers. Do all that you can by the way of faithful instruction, reinforced by a holy example, and then prayerfully and passionately leave the results with the Lord. Oh, may God take these things. May he use them with young parents, young dads, older parents, older fathers that have children, grandchildren, and now great grandchildren, to be a means of grace to them, that they might not sin in these ways. 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 17. Paul writes to young Timothy, one he had told to flee youthful lusts. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, "...knowing from whom you have learned them, not just from Paul, but also from his believing mother and grandmother, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness." That the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Oh, our Father, many of us are painfully aware of our own failures in the past, and it's peculiarly pain more painful even to see our tendencies and even our sins duplicated in the lives of our children oh lord help us to be means of grace to them to speak to them plainly urgently lovingly to avoid those things that may ruin them for time and destroy them for all eternity oh lord we need your help the most passionate most pathetic appeals will have no impact upon their hearts unless they're empowered by the grace of your word. And therefore, we pray that you would clothe wise words with almighty power and drive them home. We pray with saving effect, saving of their souls and saving of their bodies, that they might be happy, to, happy for time and for eternity. Forgive us of our failures. Help us now to be faithful in the opportunities that you present before us to be not part of the problem, but part of the solution. By your grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.